Hello, this is The Tribe Stories, the curated sermons, conversations, and collections of poetry of the Tribe Lagos. May this refresh and revive you as you listen. Mr. Ba, you know, it's a little chilled in here. That's how we do it here. <laughs> right. um, I don't know if the wife is ready, but please celebrate um, Mr. Amber and his wife. Please, sir. Come on. Yeah, please. Um, okay, she will join us shortly. But this is Love and Lessons, right? And um, tribe is interesting. We have just about 5% married couple here. Maybe even less. Maybe about 95% single. So he, he, single and, and ready. <laughs> Full ground. So, you know, every time we have this Love and Lessons, it's an opportunity to hear from people who have joined. You've been married for how long now? 17 years. God. And you know, I told them 17 this morning without necessarily being sure. You know. <laughs> right? They've been married for 17 years. So, um, guys, it's, it's important we are going to learn from them. But I, I'll, I'll wait for her to. Okay, you can just introduce yourself, what you do, your ministry, and then uh, we'll wait while we're waiting for her. Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Kenneth Amber. I'm married to Florence Amber. We came together this morning. Um, I mean, I like to call myself a workplace apostle. I've been, I'm in the marketplace, really. I'm not called to the fivefold ministry. I'm in the marketplace. I've been in the oil and gas industry for almost 20 years now. I started out in IT. I did IT for a long time. And then these days I'm doing more of compliance and ethics. So I like to call myself a workplace apostle. So I like to teach people how to discover God for themselves. That's what we do basically. And how to discover God's love for you. Because if you can settle the fact that God loves you so much, more than anything in this world, and then you can be confident that you can face anything that life throws at you, you know, anywhere you are. So that's basically me in a nutshell. We've been married for 17 years. We have four children. Uh, that's the last one uh, we came with, with Vanna. That's, that's okay. it in a nutshell. Please clap to that. Clap to that. Um, okay. So while we're waiting for her to join, I, I, just curious, I'm just curious. How did you know that Mrs. Amber was right for you? Um, these days, they call it my spec. <laughs> you know, she had most of the things I wanted in a woman. She was, um, she had most of the things I didn't have. I'm a very reserved person. She's more outgoing than I am. I thought I needed a balance in that area. I am someone that is, um, likes to plan. Everything has to be planned, maybe because of the way I've been trained. But she's more of a spontaneous person. You know, she plans also, but she's more spontaneous than I am. So I felt I needed the balance. And then she, she, she sort of completes me in, in, in all aspects, if you look at it. You know, and then her personality type as well is quite different from mine. I love, I love language is different from mine. I'm more of a, my primary love language is um, acts of service. For her, it's words of affirmation, you know. So we are sort of different in, 
in some parts we are similar, but in a lot of ways we are different and we sort of complement each other. So you want to look for somebody that complements you because variety, they say, is the spice of life. So, so that's it. Okay. Since you said I do, what have you discovered about her that um, you didn't know before you said I do? Okay, um, be, before I said I do, I didn't know she had an evangelist in her. It was after, it was after I said I do, in fact, many years after that I got to discover that, wow, my, my, my wife has a ministry that I didn't even see or know while we were single and dating. So that's one of the things I've discovered about her. Okay, you guys didn't marry like born again? No, no, we were born again when we got married, but we were not. the ministry gift had not. Yes, we hadn't entered fully into our giftings or the way we are now as at then. So, you know, it's it's a journey, you know. So, that's one of the things I've discovered about her. Okay, I'll open the floor, guys. While we're waiting for Mrs. Amber to join us, right? But one more question is, um, today, marriages are actually getting shorter in terms of the lifespan. Um... It, the, the, the divorce rate is sort of like growing. It's, it's higher now than it was before. I'm just curious as to, have you pondered on this? Is there something a generation is missing? Why marriages are not measured in, in seconds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have. I have thought about it. But if we, again, whatever we're talking about today, we always have to go back to the world. When Jesus was talking about divorce in his days, he referred to Moses and they asked him, they told him then that they said, but Moses said you could divorce your wife. He said, yes, Moses said that because of the hardness of your heart. But in the beginning, it was not so. It was never the original plan of God that there will be divorce. But because of the hardness of your heart, he had to make that allowance for you to get divorced. So. If you look at the divorce rate today, I think we are increasingly becoming intolerant. That's what I think, especially now in this generation. We are increasingly becoming intolerant. Does it have anything to do with our wokeness? Yes, wokeness is part of it. I mean, you hear, you hear things like, do what makes you happy. Marriage will not always make you happy. In fact, marriage was not meant to make you happy. Marriage is work. You have to put in the work. <laughs> Marriage is about vision. It's about purpose. It wasn't necessarily meant to make you happy. It, it, can't, it, it, is, it, is, it, can, it is part of making you happy, but it's not the sole purpose. So marriage is about putting in the work. In this, this days, you hear things like, do what makes you happy. You can come back home and your wife and you, what makes you happy? I, I don't want to be around you today. But it doesn't always work like that. So yes, wokeness is part of it. Okay, I'm just curious as to how do we balance it. So for instance, if your spouse is affecting your mental health <laughs> and <laughs> Florence, okay, please, I don't know where no you're, you belong here. Please come and sit. <laughs> she can join us. She can join us over here though. Okay. So Our handbag. 
Sorry. Mommy and daddy's handbag. No, see, one more mic, please. Okay. Welcome, please clap for. Okay, I don't know if you were listening when, we were behind, when you were behind. Okay, um, we have a very high proportion of single people around us. Um, almost <laughs> about 90% actually. Uh, has, it, has it increased from 95 no, the, to the, the more I look, the more the number has to increase. <laughs> the more I look, the number has to increase. But see, I'm looking like, you know, so, well, so, um, but in, in just even... You know, we just wanted, uh, he spoke about you guys have been married for 17 years. So we just wanted you to introduce yourself to us officially. And the question we asked him in that, in the last 17 years, what have you learned about him in marriage that you didn't know before? He said he discovered you were an evangelist, right? <laughs> and then that would be it. And the second question we took on was, actually, more welcome, was about um, why marriages are getting shorter in terms of marriages are falling apart now. Is that something we... I, on learning, he spoke about tolerance, that tolerance is becoming an increasingly scarce commodity. So let's meet you first and then we'll get into that. Hello, everybody. Okay, my name is Florence Amber. And okay, like he said, we've been married for 17 years. We have um, four children, and the oldest is 16, just graduated secondary school on his way to college. Okay, and um, what else? Yeah, um, what else again? Okay, what you do, like, uh, counseling? Oh, okay, um, I'm a counselor, marriage counselor slash teacher. I teach the word and I preach. Depends on how the anointing is flowing at the moment. And then, um, what else? And of course, I'm, um, I love being a mom and I enjoy being a wife. Very important. Yes. I enjoy being a wife. Please clap for that. Clap for that. Okay, so the, the, the question we asked was um, a lot of marriages that are uh, marriages are getting sort of like shorter. And we're asking from your own experience as a counselor, is there something our generation or the younger generation needs to learn about marriage that can make it last longer? Okay. Am I allowed to be honest? Yes. Yes. Welcome home. <laughs> okay. Um, truth be told, selfishness, selfishness, a lot of young um, marriages or young people these days they are selfish. Everything is about, has to be about me, what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Marriage is actually about compromise. You know, two people dying to self and then taking on the other person. Marriage is about work. Marriage is service. But most people these days don't want to work. They don't want to put in the extra effort it takes to make marriage work. People get offended easily. And I think that's because of the absence of the word and the absence of fellowship with the father. Because if you have um, a life with a father, a place of consistent fellowship, there is no way you will be a selfish person. Because each time we go to the presence of God, we are transformed in his presence. You cannot be a selfish person and you be a lover of God, it's not possible. Because when you go there, what he does is that he prunes you 
to make you like him. Because the Bible says that we have put on his nature. And the nature of God is not selfish. First Corinthians 13 gives us the attributes of the Father in terms of what love is. Love is not selfish. Love is not rude. It's not boastful. It's not proud. Love does not demand its own way. Right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Right? And then it doesn't get irritable. Little, do you understand? Keeps no work and does not rejoice that injustice are uh, good for you. There are certain things we do in marriages. For example, I can give so many examples. For example, love is patient. You marry somebody or you want to get married to someone. And that person is not the... You know, some of us women, let me start with the ladies. We have pictures in our minds of the kind of man that we want to marry. But a lot of us are not... We have not even... Um, worked on ourselves to become that woman that wants to marry the kind of man that she's looking for. So when the man comes, you end up frustrating the man because you're not even the man, that person. You don't even have, you're not compatible in any way. For example, you want a man that can take care of you, right, financially. But you, what are you bringing into the marriage? What are you bringing to the table? For us, for example, I didn't want to, I, w I was working and I was even making more money than him before we got married, right? Then, <laughs> it takes a strong man to handle that. And then, I remember very well that for me, my I didn't marry early. Most of my classmates or people I went to school with, their kids are out of um, university now. But for me, I, didn't, I wanted a marriage whereby I would not call my parents every two hours. Mommy, come and see what he's doing. Daddy, come and see what he's doing. Because I had colleagues that were always doing that. And that irritated me. And then they were always, sometimes they would tell me, ah, please, can you stand in for me or sit in for me? I need to, my husband did this. I need to go pick our kids, this one, that one. I was like, no, I don't want to go through this when I'm married. Because this is not the picture of the father. I don't believe this is what marriage is meant to be. And another thing I did, I tried doing when I was in my single days. I actually used my single days to groom myself, to become the woman of the man that I was Word, word, for. singles, word. So when everybody else was going to watch movies or anything, I was either in church or one marriage seminar or the other, trying to become a child of God. I was not using my money to buy, um, apart from shoes, I like shoes, and then um, work clothes, of course, because of the kind of job I had, I needed to look good. Aside that, bulk of my money was not spent on trivial things or earthly things. It was more of books and messages. Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, those were the people I was listening to. And because I was feeding off the word of faith, that really helped me. So what I was looking for in a husband was no car, house, big bank accounts. That wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for a man that was honest. I was looking for a man that wasn't lazy. And I was also looking for a man that would support the dreams, the, the visions that God had put inside of me. I, I wanted a man that was generous because I knew that God had plans for me as regards taking care of other people and all that. And I wanted a man that would support that. So the things that I was asking God for was not based on physical things. It was something that somebody that would support the character. Yes, it was more of character. So when he came into my life, as of when we were getting married, right? There wasn't really funds and everything. Now, I, I had told God I didn't want a man that would force me to work. 
because I said, okay, the first, at least the first 10, 15 years of our marriage, I was going to give it to my husband and the kids. I did not want anybody to babysit my children. I didn't want to leave my kids in crutch. I'm not saying you should do it, or except your spirit tells you to do it, right? I didn't want anybody to babysit my kids because I wanted to put values into my children based on what I believe and based on what the word says. So, and of course, that's big sacrifice because it means you have to go without a lot of things. And I was ready to do that. So for me, going into the marriage was, what am I going into this marriage with? I said, okay, I can pray. So I can, and I have favor. So what I will do, transfer the favor to him, pray that God would always open doors for him, things will work out for him. So he will be rich enough to sustain the two of us. And that was exactly what happened. I remember the first year of marriage. Of course, when we got married, there was nothing. We had nothing. There was even no bed. I was sleeping on the bare floor. But when he leaves for work, the moment I locked the door and say bye bye and all that, I just there was a corner of the house there. There was no chair, nothing. There was a corner of the house that that was my prayer spot. I just go sit down there and I'll pray in the spirit until he gets back in the evening. I was doing that consistently, and then I had scriptures all over the house that had to do with increase, that had to do with promotion, and for for I think even when I was pregnant with our first son, I continued in that, and we saw. God show himself throughout that period. We started with nothing. By the time our son was born, we had a house full of furniture, and of course, they were all supernaturally provided. He was provided, promoted like twice at work. So, of course, our finances there improving and everything. Now, I am saying all this to say that this generation don't want to do that. No Most girls these days don't want to invest in themselves and don't even want, they're not patient enough to allow God work on them and then see the process, right, finish. They don't want to see the process come to an end as in, okay, God, what are you starting in my life? And how are you, where are you taking me to? What is the direction for my life? And then for the men, most men are looking for ready-made microwave women. They don't want women that are you, okay, this one I have. Because truth of the matter is that the man is called the groom. Any woman that you are marrying, you have to be ready to, you know, fine-tune certain things that are not in right, that are not in place, that are not where they are supposed to be. The man is meant to tend the woman. Tend, you know, like the way if you have a farm, the way the farmer tends to the plants ensures that there's no weed growing here and there. That's what the man is meant to do to the woman. And then the woman's job is to respond to the grooming. That's why men are meant to lead, women are meant to follow. But we have women that want to lead and expect the men to follow. That's you're turning the order upside down. It's not gonna work. So all those things, if that's, for me basically, it's just selfishness and, Okay, guys, this is a lot of um, a lot to take in. Um, and it's a lot to take in. And do you know, Busai, I have a question. Hey, Busai. Okay, please let's take let's take the questions. But guys, please keep it brief, right? Um, okay, Busai one, Isaac second, right? But some things some things she's actually stating here is very very important because shallow is the way, and shallow is not the way. If you get the drift, looking at all the physical parameters, those things don't always add up. The character, how they, how they value, the, what, are, what are their values, their priorities, right? Okay, let's take, so you have a mic yet? Okay. Hi. 
Hi, everyone. Um, so I think you're a very self-aware couple, and I, I think that's very impressive, and I'd like to see it. Um, I do have a question. Um, I think that for most people who have this fear of getting into marriage, um, it's not really unfounded, right? Um, a lot of times, it's sort of seen your parents, so most of my friends, I won't say a lot of people, most of the people I know um, come from some very interesting homes or interesting arrangements. Um, and a lot of times, growing up through that, your parents might be together for 20 years, but you know that they actually became horrible people in that process, right? Um, or they might have been better if they were separated than if they were together. Um, and a lot of things were just sort of built up in that in you as you grow up. Um, so I guess my question is, um, for you as a couple, um, what have, how have you sort of gone through that, the undesirable things you've had to experience with each other? And maybe not in a way that is too prescriptive, but sort of walk us through how that has happened for you. So there's a lot of like um, intention in how you've come together and how things have worked. But what about when things did not seem so good? How do you sort of work that out? And sort of not hold resentment through that, right? No, it's okay. Um, should I go first? <laughs> okay. Um, for me, I always look at things from the perspective of the word because I'm first of all a child of God. I was born again before I got married. So whatever it was with, I did with him in our marriage was always from the standpoint of the word. I mean, if I, I can't tell you that we have not faced challenges. That would be a lie. There are so many things that he likes that I don't like, and there are things I don't like that he likes, right? But because of the word, and I remember I said that I spent my single years grooming myself in the word. So for me, death to self is very important. That was what helped me. There were times when he would do things that I'll feel like I wish I had a gun, I would shoot you. Jesus Christ. Right? No, I'm being honest. It's, it's the truth. That your flesh will always cry out. I mean, you've been in the flesh growing up until you get born again, and then you have to kill the flesh. So you now have to spend that much number of years being in the spirit. The same number of years that you learned, or you know where the Bible says, what does the Bible say? We're born into sin. Uh -huh. So when now when we are born again, we are alive in Christ, isn't it? Yeah. And we have the nature of God, right? So now when you have the nature of God, you are dead to sin. We live for what is right. So for me, those were times when I now have to put the word into practice. That's when you now know whether you're truly a child of God or not. There were times when your mouth just wants to say like one million things to him. But you now remember, slow, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry. Sometimes there were times I literally beat my tongue from saying things that wouldn't have ended up well. So as a child of God, that is actually how we're supposed to operate. But because we have allowed ourselves to, um, or we've allowed the world, you know, dictate how we live as believers, we now face these challenges that all believers face. It's not supposed to be like that. If we read through the episodes, you will hear so many times, Apostle Paul kept saying it, these things ought not to be mentioned about amongst you. They are not supposed to be. For me, my parents have been married 50 years. There were so many things I saw that, uh, 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 mm -mm, I don't want this. I'm, um, three years ago, right, when did we got married? Three years ago, my mom, five years, five years ago, my mom just, we, it was our brother's wedding. So after the wedding and everybody had left and we're like in the house, just normal family meeting where you just discuss and talk because we've not seen each other for a while. My mom just said, I have an announcement to make. And we're like, what's the announcement? And she said, I'm leaving your <laughs> After 45 years of marriage. And we all turned, looked at each other like, where's that coming from? Now, let me give you a clear picture. My father is a minister of the gospel. He's 77. He's still preaching the gospel, right? 
<laughs> so you can imagine a pastor, a pastor's wife saying she wants to leave him after almost 50 years of marriage. We were surprised. Where is that coming from? And then she started saying all the things that she had endured throughout the marriage. So our question now was, why didn't you say anything all these years? She said because we were small and she didn't want to leave us because she felt or she thought another woman would maltreat us. So she carried all that bitterness, all the anger. And Bible tells us, put away malice, put away wrath, put away anger. Right? So she preferred to um, indulge her flesh rather than please God. Do you understand? So those things are actually easy to deal with. If we can put our flesh under, I know it's not what most of us are expecting to hear, but that's the honest truth. If as children of God, we learn to put our flesh under, as in just, in short, it's dead. Don't even put it under, it's dead. Just remember that it's dead. You've been buried, the coffin is under the ground and it's nailed, nothing. Don't bring it up. Even when your, your flesh tries to rise up, you don't know you are dead. I'm dead to sin. Stay there. I mean, there were days when he would do things that sometimes I would physically cry, but I would not go attack him or call him names. Because for us, before we got married, there were two things we agreed on. No name calling, no divorce. We agreed on those two things before we got married. So that was like a, like a guide for us. And of course, when you make that kind of agreement, it means that you have to go to the one that will give you the grace to ensure that you keep whatever promise you've made to each other. Praise the Lord. Um, can, can I just yeah, add please, please. something to what she has said? Um, apart from what, all what she has said, putting your flesh under, we need to understand that love is a decision. It is not a feeling. You make a decision to love and be with the person you want to be with or the person you are with. So it's not a feeling. So you make that decision and believe God to give you the grace to stay through with that decision. No, that's that's what I like to add. Okay. Um, okay. It's not working. Okay, okay. Thank you. Hi, I'm Grafton. Good morning, sir. My name is Isaac. Um, One minute to. Yeah, very short. <laughs> My name is Isaac. I want to ask a few questions. Just one question. I think that you have... Um, Tommy has questions too, but I'll just stick to mine. I think that you have answered you know, a couple of things. But for me, I want to say that coming from where we is coming from, um, the aspect of you know our parents getting married for 50 years, like you said, and most parts has been endurance and not really enjoying the marriage. But I want to speak to things... I want you to speak to things like actually solving issues, you know, stuff like insecurity, and you might be having a backload of what you have experienced through your parents, and I understand that things happened for you and not to you, you know, to make you a better person. But if you are in the place where it's really is vivid, you can see the person is making you feel very insecure. To me, the person is making you feel very insecure. You know, what would what would you then do? How would you solve these things? You know, apart from you know being a Christian and all, but how do you you know pass through that process? Okay, let me add to that question about how do you um, solve... You know, we talk a bit here about um, um, daddy issues, mommy drama trauma, daddy drama trauma, and all the traumas of having through an unhealthy or dysfunctional marriage where two couples are living under a roof, but there was nothing called marriage. It was just an arrangement, as it were. Would you, as a Christian, recommend therapy? And sure. what would a Christian do with their traumas? You know... Um, how do you really, really come out of it? Because some people can be there for 10 years and they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You know? So just knowing how to work that journey. Yes, so 
we will definitely recommend therapy, but preferably a Christian therapy because the perspective of the person counseling is very, very important. You talked about insecurities. That's where therapy comes in. And we recommend that if you're in therapy, it has to be both people. It has to be the two of you. It can't be one person. So it has to be the two of you where you are able to talk through your issues. At some point in our marriage, we had to go through therapy because we had child counseling. She prefers to call it counseling, but these days they call it therapy, but it's one and the same thing. No, so we had to go through that because we were having challenges. We got to the point where we were this close to divorce, so we had to make a decision to go through counseling. And it really helped us because we saw so many things. We, we got to discover why some of the things we were going through were happening, and then we needed to make changes. And you also talk about the place of mentors, godly mentors, people that you have identified that you see that are succeeding and you think can help your relationship. Of course, you need to have godly mentors, people that you respect, people that can speak into your life, and people that your spouse can report you to when you are misbehaving. When your brain is touching, she can pick up the phone and call and say, this man, please, can you talk to him? You know, so the place of godly mentors is also very important. I don't know if I answered. Okay, um, let me, okay, let me, um, I will use myself as an example, right? Now, I grew up in a home where, yes, my dad is a preacher of the gospel and all that, but I did not really see the word practiced. I didn't see it lived in its entirety. Like, for example, one, person, one side is saying, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus, the Lord supplies all my needs, right? But my dad was always in debt. Not that I'm talking down on my dad, I'm just being honest and real. He was always owing, and then we lived in poverty for a very long time. So I was seeing a different thing. Like you said, the Bible say, does this or says this, but I'm seeing a different picture, right? And then my mother was someone that was very, that's very hot-tempered. I said is because right, right now she's work in progress very, very hot-tempered, and growing up under that kind of environment, I just assumed it was normal. It was after I left home, got to school, got, I got born again in, in university, and then I stay, I got, um, uh, I, go, I encountered the word of faith with Kenne Hagen, I started reading Kenne Hagen's books, and then I started saying, uh, uh, what these people are preaching is different from what these ones are saying, and then I started reading the Bible for myself, and then that's when things started changing for me. I made a conscious, um, I had this consciousness that no, I just made a, um, what do you call it now? A mental note that I will not be like my mother. But it was a mental note. It wasn't coming from my spirit. It wasn't a decision I made based on a revelation I got from the word of God. So when I got married, because I hadn't addressed that in the spirit realm, I was trying to address it physically it did not work, it didn't help me. So I entered the marriage with some sort of insecurity and anger problems. And it, con it um, continued for a while until we got to the place where we could no longer see eye to eye as in things weren't working. And for us, it wasn't like, okay, every, we waited for everything to break down completely before we asked for help. No, we had to go, we knew through the world and of course, by the help of the Holy Spirit that things were not right and we needed to put things in place. So we had to go seek help. 
it was in the place of help that we realized, somebody like me, I realized that, ah, this thing was, I'm not angry because I want to be angry. I'm angry because something happened to me when I was a little girl and I hadn't dealt with that. And then I, I grew up with that. So, but the moment that particular issue was dealt with, I was free and that was it. So it doesn't matter what you do to me or what he does. Mm, I just look at you and it's not, nothing moves me anymore. So for somebody that is insecure, and that also affected my, I mean, then I remember if I see him talking to any woman or anything, I start feeling uncomfortable. But when I dealt with that issue, it doesn't, even if the woman is touching his head and all that, it doesn't move me. Because why? I'm secure in myself. Number one, I know my heavenly father loves me. I don't know who I can take my place. And then number three, I know who I am in Christ Jesus. So nothing moves me when it comes to that. So if anybody is dealing with issues, because we know that people have issues. See, you take home with you anywhere you go, any, whoever you are, wherever you find yourself, you will always take home with you. Whatever it was you faced in your parents' lived, right? You know we are what we see. If you saw your parents, your dad smoking, one, one, even if one child, two or three from that family will smoke. If your father is a womanizer, one or two of the kids will pick up that. Home will, or it, it's, it's just, it's, it's biblical. So now, it's something that you now have to consciously ask the Holy Spirit, point out anything in me that offends you, and he will show you. And then he starts pointing out these things. Truth of the matter is that the problem with us believers is that when God is showing us things, because he's un we are uncomfortable with those things, we don't either want to tell people about it, safe people, not everybody, or, or um, also because we don't want people to look at us in a certain light. So we hide it. We just tuck it away somewhere. But as long as those things are there, we will never make progress. Spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally until you deal with those issues. Now, but when we take those things out and then we commit it to God and say, point your light on these things, he reveals them, we deal with them, the moment we deal with them, there's nobody can make you feel insecure because if you are conscious that nobody died for you, Jesus is the one that died for you, you will not feel insecure. Praise the Lord. Wow, there's a lot here. Okay, we'll take two more questions because I ran out of time, but you know, in all you're saying, guys, I really want us to understand that truth is timeless. Like these principles she's sharing are things that can actually make a marriage work. Um, and one thing about the Christian life is we are not meant to have tombs. The things you bury in shallow grave will always come back to haunt you. In the Christian life, the tomb is meant to be empty. So if you've buried inside there fears, insecurities, you deserve a better life than that. But something she's speaking to, which is what we emphasize here at the tribe, your identity is not found in your spouse is not supplied from your relationship. Your identity is rooted in your knowing know you're loved by God. You're a daughter of God, a son of God. And then when you come to the relationship, you bring in love. You're not demanding the other person to supply you love. You, you bring in love. You give from your overflow. From your overflow. From your overflow. Maybe if you're not giving enough, if your relationship is always tenuous, your tank has run low. So you might want to top it up a bit by a greater revelation of knowing you're loved. So you cannot start to supply, right? Don't put the burden on the other person. Sometimes relationship becomes unhealthy, right? Now, there are some people I recommend, please do therapy before you say I do. And even after I do, do one year. Like, no, I'm honestly, I can tell you for a fact, we undermine our, our, our damage. Um, I also came from a very dysfunctional arrangement. So my red light, steady, you know? But what, I, I'm aware of it. I've not dealt with all my demons. But I'm aware. Awareness is a lot. Yeah. Awareness is even everything. <laughs> a problem half known is half solved. So knowing that, so initially, my, but I don't confront, I run. Yes. 
then that's the way. I just feel like, man, it's not going to work. So this happiness thing was my was part of my blueprint. I just felt if he's not happy, he's not working. Like he has to be happy. I I, enjoy, I didn't happy. I was not happy growing up. I cannot not be happy again. Happy. So happy was like <laughs> that one. I didn't control. This one I control. I, so that was the way I was thinking about it. But I was not, the word was there confronting me, right? So in as much as you say happiness is not the goal, it's part of the team. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's part of it. Some people now say it's for holiness and it's true away happiness. No. Make it fun. God is not boring. No. God is not, it's not your mini God boring God. God. If you really read through scriptures, you find out that God is not boring. God has, ah, God wants us to have fun. He said he's giving us all things to enjoy. If you, if you look at things, even the birds, are, um, one of those days I was trying to, I was walking out the house and I saw this grasshopper on my gate. I took a picture of it because I was like, look at your eyes. I started admiring it. And before I read it, I was like, wow, God, you are awesome. Why on earth? Why did you make this thing? If we would take time to admire God's creation, we will realize that God has a very good sense of humor. I mean, there are some things you look at, you just start laughing like, what did make God create this one like this now? Do you know, guys, I know that um, just a little, you know, the most important thing in marriage, right, or what most men can't do without or most, what most women, what most adults can't do without, was God's idea. I'm, say, I'm saying, but I hope you guys are following the gist, because some people are not that age yet. But it wasn't man that invented it all. It was to tell you that that thing was God's idea. As you love it rich, it was God's idea. So let's not pretend like we, it was something that, no, God gave us, but now he gave us the framework in which that's supposed to be. So take about two more questions. Um, uh, your questions have been answered. Thank God, I love that. Okay, we'll take, um, Isaac, where is the other mic now? Okay, okay. So we'll just cascade. We'll take all questions together and then the answer, we'll call it. I don't know if you can, oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate your perspective on who a, a married woman should be. And I've learned so much. And I align completely. My question- Clap to that, clap to that. <laughs> Some of you are not clapping. I know you people. It's hard. You don't want to take it. <laughs> All right, I have two questions. I'm already married. So I have two questions from that perspective. And it's for friends and family. I have a brother who has just recently divorced his wife. And he called me to tell me, and he was like seeking my counsel. But when he gave the excuse or the reason why, the major one was, you know where we came from now? Our parents are just, they're enduring each other. And I don't want to endure my wife. This is not best that, as I see that it's not working out, I just pull out. Now, where we don't have kids, you know? And just, let's both go our ways. And I couldn't argue with that. But it has been running around my head, and I was like, okay, if I see someone to ask, I'll actually ask, is it okay if it's not working out, you've given it all, and it's still not working out that you can just part ways? Number one. Number two. I, number two question is for a friend who is single. And she has said, you know what, marriage is not just for me. I don't want to marry. It's not by force. And both situations stem from, we have this cultural demand that if you are not married at a certain age, it's a deliverance situation. We have another cultural demand that if you divorce, ah, you have committed a great sin. Endure to the end, suffer and die there. You know, and they both don't want to be entrapped by that cultural demand. You know, so that is why I've dropped these two questions. Is it compulsory that everybody must marry? Number two, if you are married and it's not working out, must we stay and die there? The Ambers. Okay, he said I should go first. Um, okay, uh, let me make this clear. If you, uh, divorce is not a sin. 
Number one, I'm not saying go and divorce her, but I'm saying it's not a sin. Then number two, depending on the context of the divorce, and I will say, I will explain why. And then number two, see, being single is not a sin. For some people, being single might even be a calling. It's not everybody that was... That, the Holy Spirit must reveal to you, by the way. <laughs> Truth of you must show us proof. It's not everybody that was designed or that is designed to be married. You have to know what your calling is before you go and get married. If from, according to Ephesians 2.10, eh, when you created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. If he had ordained that you should be single because of what he had called you to do entails you being single, so you don't drag, or the other person does not drag you alongside or distract you from what he has called you into, and you go and get married, you mess up somebody's destiny. So know your calling first. That's why, see, it's important to be grounded, first of all, as a single person before you go and get married. Because marriage is two purpose, purpose coming together. You're running a vision. This person has a vision, this one has a vision. Even if you don't have clarity as that yet, as in the exact thing that you're supposed to do together, at least you have an idea where you are headed. So for example, okay, like what you said now, your brother that divorced his wife because he felt they are not compatible. Because for me, that's even the, that's, that's it, right? They're not compatible. When they were dating, no, not dating, cutting. Did they even cut? Yes. Uh -huh. While they were cutting, what were they looking at? What were they doing? Because the signs are always there. What were they looking at? Was he just looking at fine girl, fine shape, fine face? Or he was looking at, okay, I want, this is my five, uh, five year goal, this is my 10 years goal. In five years time, I want to be this man, and will this woman help me get there? Will this man help me get there? This is who God has created me to be. Is he going to help me align with that or not? That's what courtship is for. That is the period where you, you actually get to know each other and then understand if you are actually designed to be for, um, to be for each other. Because if it's not working out, then that's when you say, okay, you go your way, I go my way. Not when you have this family, this family, you bring two families together and then after two weeks, you now say, no, we made a mistake. What were you thinking? So on that um, um, note, I think he has to, what they need to do is actually seek counsel, maybe go for counseling, and then he will probably see things from another perspective. Truth of the matter is that it's still selfishness, because this is still about me, 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 me. You know, that, there's always that self-love, we're in a generation of self-love. Mm -hmm. self, right. self, uh, self And, and you know, after coming from too much self-sacrifice to self-love, you now discover there's selfishness at the end of the self-love. But let me, let me, I don't want to forget. See, none of us here should use our parents as an excuse for living selfish lives. Our parents have lived their lives. We are living our lives. When we stand before God, our parents are not going to be there. Everybody's purpose is different. Now, are they continuing what they're supposed to do, what God had called them to do? It's not our place to judge them. Ours is to live the lives he has called us to live. So don't say, because my father messed up, me too, I should mess up. None of all, because my mom messed up, I should. No, I'm living a total different life from the life my mother lived. If you see us, we are two complete opposites. You will not even believe that it's the same woman that gave birth to me. Why? Because I made a conscious effort. I want to be like God, not like my mother. Well, okay. Okay, so um, this is a personal problem for me, or a challenge. Uh, it's a question around the exes. So I want to get your perspective on the exes. Now, um, 
we all understand that your net worth is just as important as your net as important as your network. You know, and the people who you probably have had relationships in the past are probably people who are from very smart backgrounds and uh, and are doing a lot of things in their life. And you are also in a space where you now need such people in your space, in your network space for business or for whatever reason. So do you think it is uh, totally important or necessary to cut contacts and avoid all of the X's just because they were X's and then you just pull out entirely even when there are other things that you can you know benefit in terms of network from the X's okay I will answer with I will start with one word boundaries yes you need to cut off the X's and if you truly depend on God if your focus and trust is in God, are you born again, sir? And so you are a child of God. And God is your provider. And God is your father, and not your exes. Your exes are not your providers. God can bless us, he's our source, but he uses different channels. Your exes are not your only channels for God's blessing. So you need to change your focus and implement boundaries around you. That's all I can say. Okay, let's take Richard, wrap up on this. Richard. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. All right, good afternoon, sorry. Yes, my question is this. See very much is single. So um, I'd like to know, how, what are the signs that you married the wrong person in marriage? That is one, that is one. Yes, I have the reason for asking that question. That is one. And secondly, um, how do you tell if a man is unhappy in his marriage? Thank you. Sorry, can you take the second one again? How do you tell if a man is unhappy? Or if, if a man is unhappy. You see my the club all night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> if a man is unhappy, I'll start with the second question. Um, how do you tell if a man is unhappy? One of the signs is that you would not always want to go home now. You, want, you know one of those men that after work, you'll be looking for a colleague to watch a game with or to go somewhere to hang out with, you're always avoiding going back home because you don't want to go and face your wife at home and all that. That's one of the signs that the man is probably unhappy. And then of course, maybe he might, he might develop a short fuse at work or something. That's another sign. And then another sign could even be that it could even affect your productivity at work or in ministry and all that because you are not fulfilled per se. And so if, you, if, you, if any man finds himself in that, in that uh, particular situation, you need to seek help. You know, we all need help every now and then. And then the first question was, okay, what are the red flags? How do you know you married the wrong person? Ah, that one. That one's a marriage seminar in Arizona. Um, do you want to take that? <sighs> okay, how do you know you married the wrong person? Before you marry the person, you know you're marrying the wrong person. It's not, it's not when you enter, you know you married the wrong person. Before you enter, you'll know. See, even unbelievers, God put something inside of man. Remember in the book of Romans, the Bible says that, sorry, I'm a child, so it's always Bible. I always come from that perspective. Um, Romans 1, you know, he was, he, Romans 1 said, 
that even the nobody is going to have an excuse to say that the gospel was not preached to me because even your conscience was telling you. Sometimes you hear some unbelievers say, I don't know, I just had this feeling. Something was just telling me, don't do it, don't do it. That's the voice of your conscience talking to you. Before you marry somebody, okay, I was counseling somebody some few days back and she said she knew she wasn't supposed to marry that guy. But because she had a bet with her friends. May you not be a bet in Jesus' name. for doing things and then and that's because of the lack of the fear of God we, we we don't fear God we don't fear God we do things but we don't without thinking this thing that I am doing what is the consequence of this thing in terms of eternity if you look at things through the lens of eternity you will not do the, we won't do the things we do I mean when she said that I looked at her the first thing that I wanted to do was pour the coffee that I was drinking on top of her or over her head. That's what I wanted. That was what my flesh felt like doing. I like, see what you do did to a child of this is God's child. Jesus shed his blood for this man. That man sleeps in his car because he doesn't want to have anything to do with her because he's afraid that she might kill him. She knew before she entered that she wasn't supposed to marry that man. But because there was a bet, her friends told her, you know, fit. If you marry him, the other ones, I think she said the highest amount they put was, is it 500 k? That's what a human being is worth to her. You will always know, the signs are always there. The signs are always, God is not a wicked father. He's not a wicked father. He will always tell you something is wrong. Um, okay, I had a meeting yesterday, and one of the young um, ladies, that, after the meeting, she came to me and said she just broke up with the person she was dating because I asked her, I hope you don't have boyfriend. Don't do boyfriend though. Don't waste your time. And she said, ah, I just broke up. I said, why? She said she had a dream that they broke up. <laughs> I was like, oh, was it because of the dream you broke up? And she said, no, that she had been having the signs. But, and then she told herself, let me not wait until this thing escalates into something else. Let me end it now. So that dream was like a confirmation of the feelings or the intuition that she's been having. I said, okay, if it's based on that, then that makes sense. You will always know before you marry the person that you marry the wrong person. And when you go ahead and marry that person, you have violated your conscience. And we know what the Bible says concerning that. Okay, you said something that I would like you to unpack. Okay. Don't do boyfriends, right? No, and I think it's important because... Um, some people are wasting your time. They're not ready. You understand? So uh, they're not ready. So don't be a percentage game. That is not a percentage game. It's not like you just be, uh, it's not, you just have to have that sense of clarity. Dating is not even in the Bible. It's not a Bible word. We coined it. That's culture. Yes. You don't, what are you dating? Dating to do what now? So do we say courtship? Courtship. See, if a man, okay, he, he asked me out, and then three weeks later, he proposed. He knew what he wanted. I had a, I had a plan, I had a plan. <laughs> Two years and counting, Udadeya. <laughs> he, knew what he, he knew he was looking for a wife. He wanted a wife, right? And the moment he asked me out, I remember very well that first day, the first question he asked me was, so are you still playing around or you want to get married. I was like, at this age, play around with who? I said, no, I'm not, I'm not even into all that rubbish. 
I was like, okay, so you would like to have another date with me? I said, uh -huh. and then after that, you know, I said, okay, and then we see. And I said, no, there's nothing like we see. After that, what next? He said, I want to get married. I'm ready to be married, to get married and all that. I said, uh -huh. okay. The next date now, no problem. Of course, the next date, for me, it was, okay, make I go see who this man saying be. Now, we were friends in school. I'd known him for a long time. We went to school together, right? No, wait, wait, I'm going to say something. No, 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 no. No, no, wait, wait, I'm going to say calm something. Down, calm down. We went to school together. We were friends in school, we weren't dating. I was going out with somebody else. It was in, else. Bro in the brother zone, the friend zone. Yes, it was a friend zone. I was dating somebody else who was dating somebody else, right? Bernard! Now, after school. school of course we we just went our separate ways and we didn't we didn't um, know where each other was until after about four years yeah about four years later and how he even found me he was his best friend that uh, met me in church got my number and gave it to him apparently he had told the friend that have you seen this girl i'm looking for that girl i'm looking for our best friends you can do better <laughs> you know so yeah when he saw me in church, he said, ah, he has been looking for you. I was like, oh, really? Okay, can I give him your number? I said, what's my own? Give him. I wasn't even thinking anything. Because for me, number one, it wasn't even, I was like, mm, not in my radar. That's not who I want. Right? Then, when he called me at work and said we should meet, when he told me he wanted us to go out and all that, for me, as at that time, I had zeroed my mind that any man, and I told friends and everybody, any man I date now is the man I'm going to marry. And I'm not dating anybody. Any man that comes into my life now is the man I'm going to marry. So even when friends would arrange guys and all, I would turn them down. I'm like, no, I'm not seeing any, I'm not going to see anybody. So when he, when he asked me out and we had that date, the next date, what I did was I took my friend with me. And I said, come, come and see this guy that is asking me out. What do you think? Because already in my mind, I know the date I won't marry. So when she saw him, the first thing she said was, wow, one of the things that she liked about him was, when, <laughs> okay, let me say this for the girls that are ladies, that are single ladies here. Money should never be your motivation. And money should not be the reason why you want to see, bury a man. That date, he didn't have any money. He could only afford one meat pie. <laughs> <laughs> He could, only, he could only afford one meat pie. No, listen, listen. He could only afford one meat pie, one Coke. For three people. Myself, my friend, and himself. And he was very honest. He said, I, sorry, yo, I can't buy you guys food. I can only afford meat pie and Coke. For the three of us. And guys, if don't check, it's no, no movement. <laughs> you know, so when he, when he told, when he said, oh, okay. When he said that, she said, it's not a problem. It's okay. For her, his honesty was what caught both of us. Because for me, I said, if a man can openly tell my friend this and tell me that, ah, this one, you know, you know, you know send anybody. How come you're so self, you were so self-assured? <laughs> 
because I was assured of God's love for me. Oh, wow. 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 The best, the worst I could get is a no. Abby, she will tell you no. And then you would move on and look for someone else. It's not the end of the world. Wow. Guys, this is, this is loaded. You know, so when, when we left that place, I there and then, I knew that this was the per- this is the person for me. And then two, yeah, the following, yeah, it was the following week or two weeks later when I was at work, I just got a text message, will you marry me? May God deliver you from every 10 year relationship. We, we cut it for a year and that courtship period where that was the period where we started discovering each other where uh, learning about each other's family and then the things that was when we started laying the, the foundation to the kind of marriage we wanted and why we were getting married why we wanted to be married to each other like for example me uh, I'm the oldest and I did a lot of washing you know growing up and all that the first thing I told him was I'm not going to do any laundry so buy a washing machine. <laughs> no, I'm being honest. You see, don't, don't assume, don't enter marriage with assumption. Lay everything there. Let him know what he's getting into. That is what will determine whether he wants you or not. Because if you go and, get, and you start assuming that he should know that I, should, I, I cannot wash now, or he should know I don't know how to cook now, how will he know if you don't tell him? You're not supposed to cook for him before you marry him. It's after you marry him. So if you let him know, I don't like cooking, no. He already knows that, ah, this girl, as she's entering here, I have to either hire a chef or I have to be the one to cook. It's there. It's obvious. Because most men are looking for a cook. And if the girl that you now go and marry does not know how to cook, is that not a problem? You now put pressure on her. Make her go do something that she's not willing to do. See, when you're marrying somebody, your mindset should not be, I want to change this person to be who God did not create him to be. Let the person willingly on his or her own accord say, okay, because I love this person, I am ready to yield or to yield my will to this person. If the person does not like, for example, my husband doesn't like Pepe. I like Pepe. Now, I had to tell my I mean, for the rest of my life, till Jesus comes, I will not eat pepper. I made that. No, you notice, ah, it's the truth now. I had to. Is it that pepper or I don't marry him? Uh-huh, now. So we have to consciously tell ourselves the truth. Okay, can I live with this? It's a simple thing. Can I live with this the rest of my life? Marriage is a lifetime thing. Yeah. Am I ready to live with this person, with this behavior, with this attitude the rest of my life? If the answer is no, don't enter. Don't enter there with the mindset that, okay, when I marry him, I'll change him. Are you the Holy Spirit? Change him. How? How do you want to do that? That's what causes problem. You want to go and turn somebody into somebody, into who he is not or into who she's not. God did not create that person that way. We are different personalities trying to come together to become one. This one, you bring your will. This one, you bring, you, you are a man. You, you are a woman. Together, you bring your personalities, everything. You put it together. And that's why it takes a long time before the two of them now start looking together in attitude, in everything. After you have been married a long time. Not when you are married two, three weeks. You now want to see changes overnight. It doesn't happen that way. So dating is that dating does not work. It's not even in the Bible. You don't date. You court. It is in that period. And I don't believe in long courtship. Because when you keep a woman waiting, see, the, the older a woman gets, of course, the more her, what they call it now? 
no, not the biological clock. When you drive a car out of the lot and they tell you it starts devaluing market value. market value. No, I have to be very honest. The older a woman gets, naturally speaking, I'm not talking in terms of spiritual. In now, God's word, you're God's child. The don't older a woman gets, naturally speaking, everybody knows. Will you want to marry a woman that is hundred years and you are forty years old as a man? No, but a forty-year-old man. Can um, a hundred-year-old man can marry a forty-year-old woman? True or not? True or not? The the older a woman, the older a woman is, we all know that the chances of her getting married or meeting the a, a man that wants to spend the rest of his life with her is harder. If a woman is forty, most of the guys that will come to that woman will either be either a man that is widowed or a woman that is divorced. When you are six or a man that is divorced, when your woman is sixty, which man that is thirty years old? No, I don't mean sugar. Is it sugar mom? Those guys. I don't mean those ones. I mean a man that really, really, really wants to marry a woman that he wants to grow old with. Will a thirty-year-old man go and carry a sixty-year-old man and say, "Okay, that's my wife"? By the time you are even starting to live life, she she don't she don't hit menopause. How you want to am? This is a reality check. It's so don't long courtship. Um, um, uh, courtship doesn't make sense. I mean, the moment you know that you are marrying the person, what are you waiting for? If money is the issue, truth of the matter is that you don't need too much money to get married. All that when people are using money as excuses, we didn't have money. We told our parents the kind of wedding we wanted. We told them what we could cater for based on what we had saved up. We had a budget and we stuck to that. Even when my mother was doing drama and everything, we just told them, well, if you guys want to take care of the rest, no problem. This is our list. And they said, okay, no problem. And they took care of the rest. You don't, don't, use money, not, don't use money as an excuse and say, okay, that's why I'm delaying. Or I'm and then you, the woman, if a guy, after the first year, has not said, this is the date, this is when we are getting married. Yes. Babe, run. <laughs> there's no, no, that, because there's no, I don't, I don't, except maybe the person is sick and you believe that this person will be healed or something, except on that basis. But if the person is not sick, what is the excuse? He has a source of income. I don't mean, don't go and marry a man that is lazy and you will be the one doing the work. Every, any man that wants to marry, if you don't have a job, don't look for a woman. Don't wow. marry anybody. Even if it's wow. 20,000 naira, you are earning. Bring something. something home. I think this is a lot, guys. Um, but again, that's why you all need the Holy Spirit. That the guy came with Uber doesn't disqualify him. But there are other things you also have to, like she said, he has to show himself Guys, calm down now. We have a baby dedication immediately, so we are running so out of time, right? We're running out of time. No, it's okay. But I really needed to cut through because I hope this is coming, communicating to you the essentials, what you look for in the person you want to settle with. Don't become frivolous. Your reasons are more important, right? If you're marrying somebody for the, for the superficial reasons of the money, the look, where they work, or green card. Green card. You're more than that. You, you cannot reduce yourself to green card. You have a green passport for heaven's sake. <laughs> no, 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 no. Green or green? Whether card or passports? No, but guys, that's other side. But yeah, at the end of the day, guys, your worth is knowing who you are that really, really will resolve it. And we might have to do a part two some other day. Right? We have to do a part two because there are many hands and we can't take so much. But I want us to pray. I want you to pray. Um, I mean, there are many things that have been said here, but people are truly coming from a place of confusion, need clarity. Some people are already in a relationship now. They don't know whether it's the will of God or not. Am I staying or am I leaving? Right? And just knowing and hearing this, as okay, they're calibrating or recalibrating to be sure. Um, some people are still thinking, was my ex the one? 
you understand? Or is there another? Right? But the Holy Spirit will answer those other questions. So I just want us to, you know, pray with them. Rejoice. Okay. So if you guys can. Okay. Um, before we pray, I'd like us to understand that the Holy Spirit, Bible says that he will guide us into all truth. He is our teacher. He has a ministry in the life of the believer. And the believer has to yield to him. If we do not yield, live a yielded life to the Holy Spirit, we cannot fully express everything that he has come to provide for us. And how do you yield to him? Praying in the Holy Ghost regularly, not for five minutes, regularly. My pastor was teaching yesterday and he said that he believes that a believer at least, you should spend at least one hour praying in the Holy Ghost. He will help you take decisions. You do not know everything. He knows everything. And so he will help you in the areas where you are not so sure, in the areas where you do not have clarity, he will help you. And so this morning, I'd just like us, to, like us to pray. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We thank you for this time of fellowship. We thank you for this time of interaction, Lord. We thank you for the life of the, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in the life of every believer that is here. Bible says that you guide us into all truth. You are our teacher. And for as many as are yielded to you, Lord, you will guide them. You will lead them. You will direct them in the decisions they have to make, in the decisions that have to do with the person they need to marry or they have to marry. In their destinies, Lord, you will lead them. You will give them pointers. Your word says you will hear behind you a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. Even when it doesn't seem so obvious, you will guide us by your spirit. You will lead us by your promptings and we will obey. Thank you, Father, even for this house. Thank you for the set man here. Thank you for the work that is being done here. Thank you because it shall be an increase from glory to glory. From faith to faith, you will lead them in the name of Jesus. Blessed be your name, my Father. We give you praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. And so precious, Father, in the name of Jesus. For everyone here that has gone through or is going through one trauma or the other, Jesus said he, he came, Jesus came to set the captive free. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set free those that are oppressed or are being oppressed. For everyone here that has been through one bad marriage, one bad relationship or the other, I just want you to know that that's never God's best for you. His best for you is always peaceable. His best for you is always joyous, joy, joyful. And I want you to know that he loves you beyond your mistakes. And he loves you beyond whatever it is that you're going through right now. And I also want you to know, I need you to know that he's there in it with you. All he just wants you to do is yield, commit it to him. Turn it all over to him. He says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. You know, um, Hebrews 6, 
18 or so says, By two immutable things, God cannot lie. When God says something, he means it. And he keeps it. He says, My covenant will I not break. Not the thing that has gone out of my mouth. He will not alter it. He will see every word that he has spoken come to pass. And now he's telling you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Turn it to him. Let him take care of it. Stop trying to do it your way. Human effort accomplishes nothing. It will only bring you more pain. And so in the name of Jesus, Father, I commit your sons and your daughters into your hands. For everyone that, whose heart has been broken, everyone that has faced one disappointment or the other, everyone that is experiencing things that does not look like what the picture they had before they went into it. Lord, I ask that your love will fill their heart, that the love of Christ will be revealed to them today in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask that they will be filled with the love of Christ in the name of Jesus. They will know your love, the depth, the width, the height of your love for them in the name of Jesus. Sweet Holy Spirit, you are our comforter. I ask that you will comfort every broken heart here today in the name of Jesus. I ask that your peace that passes all understanding, it will keep their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for they will be led by your peace in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you will help them, Lord, to look up to you, to take their eyes off of those situations, but to focus on you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. And that you will give them, you will let them know the blessed hope that they have in you. Let us all have this consciousness that you are coming back for us. And that hope will not make us ashamed. It will keep us going because we know that you are coming to redeem us from this earth of filled with pain, filled with destruction in the name of Jesus. And that we will come to know you the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, or even be conformable even to your death in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, because you are transforming us to be the men and the women that you created us to be to the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. You can log on to thetribelagos.com or email us at hello at thetribelagos.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter on The Tribe Lagos. God bless.